Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. He was the only kid in Colorado that was taking THC for something that was not seizures other than a few cancer kids. So he was the first pediatric patient with Crohn's disease to use cannabis legally. This is the Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's The Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Welcome back to The Cannamom Show, where you can always look forward to us talking about caring for and giving a voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one canna story at a time. So, Dave, this weekend I went to the Cannabis Science Fair at Harvard University. Oh, Harvard. That sounds sounds awesome. How was it? It was fun. Um, It was sponsored by our friends at MCR Labs here in Massachusetts. I went to a presentation with Dr. Stacy Gruber. I'm just going to read over her credentials because they're long and there's a lot of big words. Mm -hmm. Um, She is (laughs) the director of the Cognitive and Clinical Neuroimaging Core and the Marijuana Investigations for Neuroscientific Discovery, which apparently is the acronym MIND, M-I-N-D, program at McLean Hospital in Massachusetts. She is also an associate professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and her research focuses on the application of neurocognitive models and neuroimaging to better characterize risk factors for substance misuse and psychiatric conditions. That's impressive. I wish my bio was that long. (laughs) So she was giving a presentation of the studies that they're actually doing with the other team of lots of other doctors now and scientists who are 
researching how cannabis for women issues specifically and trying to get the data behind what's actually happening at a neurobiological stuff I don't understand. And there are lots of charts and graphs and really smart people asking questions. And yeah, it was exciting. So cool. Yeah. Is there, uh, can people find out more about that? I have no idea, but okay. if you go to MCR Labs website, I'm sure they'd be happy because they did a whole month of a can of education, can of science education, because it is not a belief system. This is a science. It's a science. <laughs> it's a plant, people. It's plant. And on the flip side, there was a royal visit to Massachusetts, Dave. Did you I see know. any of them? No, they didn't happen no. to come by my studio in Westwood. I'm shocked. But yes, it's nice to see the royals. It's nice to see they, they actually exist in real life and not just on the TV show The Crown. Exactly. And they were right down the street from me in Somerville. Oh, that's right, and yeah. um, they were hanging out with the Massachusetts female leadership, my friend, Governor-elect Moore Healy, and Mayor Michelle Wu. Look at us representing. I know. We got women. We got minorities. Go go yeah, us. We got, yeah. we got short people who play <laughs> basketball. We do everything. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Love it. Okay. And uh, speaking of women leadership, I also attended, this is another big title, the Massachusetts Conference for Women which kind of covers a lot. Yeah, you'd think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I used to go in person. I don't do person stuff much anymore, but I did a virtual one, and Reese Witherspoon was the um, keynote speaker, which was pretty really? fun listening to her. Yeah. Is and, is she uh, known for something beyond acting or no, pretty much? She has her own media company, which she actually just oh. sold. Her She had a company called Sunshine Media. She said she was an actress who got into this business part of it because she realized Again, like I talk about in cannabis, if you don't build it yourself, no one's going to give it to you. Right. So she literally built this whole media company based on what she wanted to see and uh, just sold it. But I think it's called Sunshine Media. And I, you need to do a cannabis women story, Reese. Yeah, come on, Reese. Get with it. Get with it. Um, and before I get to today's uh, guest, I just want to give a shout out to another media group that I support right here in Massachusetts. I think I've talked about it before, Emerson Radio, W-E-R-S. I, everything I know about life is from show tunes or musical theater. So mm. they have a show on Saturday called Standing Room Only, which I love and dance in my bathroom too. And the music is fun. And on Sundays, I have another one for Jewish music. Hagiga. So, oh, cool. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's unusual. It's right here in Boston. It's another local place. And I will say they're doing their fundraising for the end of year. And they support, they support Rosie's Place, which is right here. You know, Boston people know it's a support place for women, unhoused women who are looking for things they need in the city. And so part of their fundraising support at WERS not only goes to magical musical theater music, but to help Rosie's Place. So if you're a local person and you don't know about them, listen. And if you listen, support. That's the Emerson Radio, you said. W-E-R-S, Emerson Radio. Yeah. Yeah. We forget we have one of the creative sort of educational capitals of the world in Emerson right here in our backyard. My uncle John is an alum of that radio station. He went on to be a radio producer. And let's not forget Dennis Leary and Jay Leno. I don't know if they did radio, but many famous yes. people went to Emerson. Yeah, Keeping radio alive. That's what I love. The power of the voice. Right, right, Dave? That's what we're about. <laughs> That's what we're about. That is. Okay. And then we are, hopefully, we'll be speaking with the founder of today's show sponsor, the resort at Westmoreland in Jamaica. Miss Khadijah Adams hopefully will be here later to share what's going on and how you can book your Canada-friendly vacation in Jamaica in January. I think that's when they're opening. Love it. Love it, love it. All right, let's move on to our guest. So today we have an inspiring mother, son, 
mother-son Canna story, which I haven't shared very often. Unfortunately, the son can't be here, but she's going to fill in both parts. So we're good. She joined us from Colorado, where her journey to find a Canna mission includes a parent's little worst nightmare that was avoided. And then they grew this into a life mission to raise funds to create ethical, comprehensive, patient-driven, observational, and anecdotal research for cannabis research studies. As we've spoken of so many times before, today's guests have been, they have risen to become the people they needed when they were seeking help healing with cannabis and are driven every day to create a better world that includes access to quality cannabis medicine. Please welcome to the Cannamom Show, Ms. Wendy Turner, who's going to be speaking about her son's mission, Colton Turner. Welcome, Wendy. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the, your time and, and, and your mission. So I, I'm very honored to be here. Okay, so before we begin, um, can you just tell me how old Colton is now and when his journey, sort of what the mission, what was the age where they really thought that things were not going to go well for him? But so, I didn't want to go back into your Kiana story. Yeah. He's 22 now. He was 11 when he was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. He was 13 when we decided to use cannabis to treat his Crohn's disease. He was 14 when we moved to Colorado. Okay, so that's just sort of a backup. So let's just start with your own personal canna story. You're more like me, so I know you came from a just say no family, and you didn't grow mm -hmm. up in Colorado. So can you just sort of start sort of with a, where you started in cannabis, what you thought of whether you what your family thought of it, and then how you journeyed the next step, how Colton brought you into this world. Sure. So I'm from the Midwest. I um, am from a little town in in Illinois, uh, Southern Illinois, uh, near St. Louis. And we were definitely a just say no family. And my husband was in the complete opposite of that. Um, he was not in a just say no family, and but he was the black sheep and decided that that wasn't for him. And he was going to be a police officer so he could arrest people for stuff like this. So we, we raised our children to be just say no kids and to understand what they're doing when it comes to drugs and, and to be responsible with alcohol also. And, and uh, it was, it, we, we were that typical family, just the, just say no, just trying to do the best that they could to, to, to raise their kids. Right. And we thought that that's what it was. Right. Okay. So that's where I came from too. Not, yeah, no police officers. I didn't want to arrest anybody, but I didn't know what it was. All right. So, so that's where you're coming from. And then I just, I know it's a big story with Colton, but let's, let's start when he got, I guess maybe he was a healthy child and then he got sick and sort of the transition and then what you actually had, what you went through before you just chose to try cannabis as medicine for him. Sure. So Colton drowned in a, in a lake and got a bacterial infection. And 11, that was 11. When, and it turned into, uh, it turned, it, cr it created and triggered his Crohn's disease. Now this is something that he probably already had. We don't know. We don't know where Crohn's comes from. We don't know how it's it's actually manifested into your system. Uh, there's no cure for it, so it was. It's still kind of a mystery disease. Well, what was what, what what was happening to him at this time that you realized something wasn't right? He was having bloody stools. So and he was having a lot of pain in his gut. So this was, and we thought that it was just from the lake that he just had a bacterial infection, and we were gonna just take him to the doctor and put him on some medications and uh, they ended up putting him on opioids instead of, instead of like antibiotics. Uh, and then he was just in double over pain and we took him to the hospital, to the emergency room and they thought that he had appendicitis. 
So they started checking into that more. And your appendix is exactly where Crohn's starts in your body. And they found that they had, he had some inflammation elsewhere in his ileum and, and they were like, well, we don't think that it's appendicitis. We think that it's Crohn's disease. And we were like, well, what in the world is Crohn's disease? We had no idea. So this is not something that had been part of your family. You'd never heard of it. It wasn't something that you had been experienced. Okay. Yeah. So what were you told? What were you told initially? What would happen to him? We, we were just sent home with medication. And they said, well, he's probably 75% sure that he has, has Crohn's disease. And so then we started looking up what Crohn's disease is and what the, what really a diagnosed, a diagnosis with Crohn's disease actually means. And uh, we decided that the doctors here in St. Louis weren't, they weren't educated enough in Crohn's because there just wasn't enough research and, and enough people around here that actually had it because it is a rare disease. It's not really rare, but it is technically a rare disease. And so we took him to the Mayo Clinic to make sure, absolutely sure that that's what he had. And they did all of their tests and came back 100% that it was Crohn's disease and that we needed to start him on biological treatments. And before that, had he been a pretty healthy kid? Was there anything that you- Yeah, he, he was always small, but he- he, his dad was small. I'm a small person. I'm not, I'm not a real big person. You know, I'm five. I'm a small people. We're small people. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was growing normal. Everything was fine until the drowning. And then all, it just went downhill from there. Okay. So you take him for another verification, you know exactly what it is and what were the kind of medications they were giving him and what were they doing to him? Like he was an 11 year old kid. What, What was, what were the repercussions from the medications? Well, the first thing they put him on was Vicodin and, and then they put him on Azacol, which is kind of a, like an aspirin, just a very low dose of aspirin that just doesn't work very well for most people. And then, then we had, and to, was, that to, was that to take away the pain? What was that to do? That was the Azacol, the pain was for the Vicodin was for the pain. The Azacol was for the inflammation that was okay. in his gut. So he had inflammation, he had ulcers, he had granuloma, he, it, it, his, his guts just looked just gnarly and nasty. And, and this, I don't know that much about Crohn's disease. So does that impact what you can eat as well? Oh, absolutely. Now so, doctors will tell you that, no, that is not true, but yes, it is true. Your diet is a huge, huge factor in, in your treatment with Crohn's disease. Absolutely. So when, you're, when you when you get Crohn's disease, do they tell you to do eliminate certain foods? Do they tell you to supplement other things? Is there like a certain regimen that they give you, or it's just the only thing you can't eat? Is there stuff that you literally can't eat? The only thing that they told us was that he can't have fructose. So high fructose corn syrup, um, any type of uh, fruit that has fructose in it, like apples. That was what they the main takeaway was. But then we realized uh, we had a really good doctor at the Mayo Clinic. And he said he should probably avoid seeds because his, his intestines is very, very fragile. So seeds and corn, corn is not digestible, obviously. So trying to pass corn is very difficult on a person that has Crohn's disease because they're, it's like their, their intestines are paper thin, not even paper thin. I mean, I, I know, I know some reams of paper that are thicker than some people's intestines. It's just abs- It's just so, so thin. And um, it's very easily injured and perforated. So we wanted to avoid all of those types of things. So we avoid them. He avoids them. Popcorn, just because we're afraid that something's going to happen. And so why, why eat 
corn or popcorn or seeds when there's a chance that it could perforate his intestines. All right. So, so it's like some limitations. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So they so they start so they start him on some medications for the inflammation, for the pain, and then what's happening to him? He's just getting worse. Hmm. So we we ended up going once we get got to the Mayo Clinic. They said, well, he's not getting any better. Um, this was almost um, nine months into his treatment, and they said, let's go with the big the big guns, and we put him on Remicade. And what does that do? Remicade is like. <clears throat> I'm sorry. So, what does it do? I'm sorry. I missed that. What did you? Like a chemotherapy. Oh wow! Wow. Yeah. He has to sit in a in a chair and get an infusion in his arm. And sometimes it, the first one took about six hours. The longest uh, treatment he had ended up about nine hours. So he would have to sit there all day and get this this treatment, which is very similar to chemotherapy. He and was in, that... next to kids that had cancer. Yeah. What's it, so was this again? So was this for pain or was this for inflammation? What were they trying to fix? This was to treat the Crohn's disease actually treat it okay to hopefully eliminate it or to reduce it or what's the intent? Well, there's no way you can eliminate it it's it's incurable so there's no cure for it so they're just trying to reduce the inflammation reduce ulcers reduce the granuloma and try to calm down the fire they're never there's always going to be sparks so they're never going to make it ever go away but at least he he'd be able to tolerate living and absorbing food. So how long is this going on where you're doing these pretty um, intense medicational treatments and he's, he's a little he's a kid? Yeah, he was, we did that for a year. They, the treatments are just every couple of weeks. So it's not like he, he was going in every single day or anything like that. But on his first treatment, he ended up making antibodies towards the medication. So he ended up getting a serum sickness and developed rheumatoid arthritis and then eventually lupus. Uh, so he only had, I want to say that he only had four treatments, but it might've been five. And then they had to take him off of Remicade. So he couldn't, he couldn't handle that. His body was making too many antibodies and he wasn't gaining any weight. So, so he what, was- what, so did the, he get it? That's, that's, that's really frightening as a parent. Was he, did you see any improvement after the treatment or you just see sort of like the pain he was in? It just got worse. Um, yeah. So. On top of having Crohn's disease, he ended up getting RA, which now his shoulders and his hips are killing him. He ended up getting a spot in his heel where the bone was deteriorating. So he just kept getting worse. And then lupus on top of it. So now it's summertime and the kid wants to go out and swim in a swimming pool. And he can't because the his face will swell up and, and he has the rosacea or rosacea and just the inflammation in his skin because of, of the lupus. So it was miserable. All right. So really, it's a bigger story. Okay. So I want to get to your foundation work too. All right. So you're going through this horrible treatment. How many years of actually treatment did you have to go through before you finally chose to find plant medicine? Or what, what happened to get you to that transition, I guess? Uh, three years. Well, three Colton years. was a failure to thrive. He was in four means below the standard in health. He was, a, he was 13 years old and he was 76 pounds. And he looked like a cancer patient with hair, with very little hair, but he had hair. And so we we were, we just couldn't do any more. They ended up, the last medication that he was on ended up giving him a tuberculosis scare. So his lymph nodes sw swelled up and he had a, his salivary glands taken out instead of his lymph nodes to do the biopsy for this, for to test for tuberculosis. Cause he turned, he tested positive, but it was a false positive. 
And then they said, well, it's not tuberculosis. We think that it's lymphoma. So then he had a test for lymphoma, T-cell lymphoma, and he did have architectural cells. So they were afraid that anything, any biological that they gave him after that would turn into full-fledged T-cell lymphoma, and that's fatal. So we took him off all the medications and just started Google searching. And so, we you, ran so, he's, so he's like, so he's 13, 14 years old, and has he been like bedridden? Like how sick is he? Like he oh, can yeah, get it. Absolutely. Yeah. He's in a wheelchair okay. at this time. A wheelchair. Okay. He's right. um, very fragile. Um, he's definitely, we were carrying him up and down the stairs so he could go to bed. He was, he was just, he was sick. He was very, very sick. And we thought the Mayo Clinic was kind of to the point of where we think that we're going to lose him. So maybe you should take him home and make him comfortable. But we also could do a massive surgery on him and which is going to shorten his life. Uh, and you have other kids too. How old are your kids at this time? Your other the the oldest it was at the time was fourteen, and the, the youngest was eleven. All right, so he's all right. So you're a family in trauma, doing a lot of things, and you're now you're basically being told that your son there's not much else to do. All right. So then I know the situation with brownies, but how did you figure out how did what was the transition, and how did you again? I these stories of moms who go out of the you know heroic things to heal their children. So what happened, and how did you figure this out, and to help him? We found a study in from Israel that said that cannabis did well in treating and treating Crohn's disease. And what year um, was this, Wendy? Do you remember what year it was? This was 2013. All right, so, so it's early it's in October of 2013. So we started doing our research before that. And my grandmother, who's Native American, she kept saying, "Take him back to the earth, take him to the reservation, take him back to the earth," and just constantly nagging me about it and she wanted him to do something more natural because he she and she was a nurse so she you know was really integral in 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 making us find a different path well that's interesting that's an interesting generational story as well that you're in the native america well you got got a lot of stuff going in your story (laughs) anyway so i love that that there's this idea again i talked a lot about this whole movement of the earth and how this could heals us and heals our planet and the idea that you had an elder who was telling you these are the stories that I know and I'm going to help with what I understand we're like the weird us we're the anomaly in history that we don't know anything about this plant and we haven't been using it so all right so you're moving forward and you're still in where are you living you haven't moved to Colorado yet right when do you Um, we didn't move to Colorado until 2014 okay so February they actually were going to leave after his birthday which is February 29th He's a leap day baby. And then the, we had a big snowstorm that hit. So we, they didn't leave until March 4th. So he he and his dad moved to Colorado. And we we had already tried brownies before this. Um, so we knew that it was, that it helped. It at least got him out of the pain and out of the wheelchair. So who um, made, sorry, just coming back up on the brownies. So did you make the brownies? Did you get the brownies? And like, how much did we even know how to give him? We didn't. We knew nothing. <laughs> um, we, we ended up getting some some weed from a friend of ours that we knew that was a pothead. Um, and we, we got on Google and looked up brownies and ended up seeing Brownie Mary and used her recipe and did exactly what she, we had, she had said to do. We are, it, this is in the middle, this is in the middle of October and it's cold outside and we have all the windows to our house open and we're all this weed smell is going out and it was just absolutely horrible we thought for sure that we were going to get caught because we're in illinois at the time and it was it was just it was 
in- incredible. It's crazy. It'll be in, it'll be in the in the movie. All right. So you're making <laughs> pop brownies, and now your husband literally takes your son to Colorado. And what happens when you get there? And he had to go to a recreational dispensary and find medication for him and make more brownies. The kid does not want to eat brownies at all, ever. And we, he was on, he ate brownies for a good solid two months. Like every meal? Like <laughs> Yes. Uh, oh. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So we gave it to him. So Tommy would, would extract the, the oils and make a crude and then put it into the brownies. And he would take some of the brownie. And then he would wait a couple of hours to see what it made him feel like. And then he's like, okay, if I feel like this, then he can tolerate this. And he would cut the brownies into a a different um, dose for Colton. And he, so then he would cut all of, all the rest of the brownies into that same dose. And he would feed those to him three times a day. Wow. Wow. All right. That's a lot. All right. So many questions (laughs) about that. All right. So. So what are you seeing? What are you like? What are you seeing in him? We, the most amazing thing that happened was um, they were getting uh, like homesickness and, and cabin fever. So they went out and, and just took a drive up into the mountains and they stopped at this one little park and walked out to, to look at the view and there was some snow on the ground. So Tommy was like, he kind of noticed that Colton was getting a little cold. So we were like, let's, let's go home. And he started walking back. And then all of a sudden Colton or Tommy feels a, a hit on the back of his head. Colton had made formed a snowball and threw it at him. And then Tommy turns around and he's like, what in the world is going on? And then he sees Colton just jetting. So he Colton's running down this mountain, trying to get away from his dad. And so Tommy's first instinct was to pick up a snowball and throw it back at him, right? The parental instincts. (laughs) And he's like, Colton's running. And right then, he just broke down. It's so heart-wrenching to to see that. But it's so happening. He was like a child. So he just, did he even like think, oh my God, I'm running? Or was he just like, I can run? Yeah, wow. Amazing. All right. So now you're like, so he can't eat brownies forever. So how do you figure out how to like dose him in a different way? Or, I mean, maybe my son lived on chocolate ice cream and he's fine. He survived. He's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, we thought that for sure that he would just eat brownies forever and ever. But we, we, we knew about Charlotte's web and we knew about the oil that they were making, the CBD oil. So we tried to find that and we, we were put on a waiting list and the waiting list was another year because he didn't have seizures. And so then we found another caregiver and that, that had CBD oil. And then we found somebody that would make other like snacks for him. So he was eating goldfish crackers and, and cookies and, and other things that, that they were making for him. Wow. And so that it just kind of revolved from there and into a a one-to-one medicine because we knew that he was taking a lot of THC and that he needed a lot of THC. And he was the only kid in Colorado that was taking THC for something that was not seizures other than a few cancer kids. So he was the first pediatric patient with Crohn's disease to use cannabis legally. Wow. And, And he needed THC. Yeah. Which is what they're proving. It's a full plant. All right. So he's how old? He's like 14, 15. How old is he now at this point? Where he's actually he's doing okay. and gets the tincture. He's 14 at the time. So do you guys all move to Colorado? Is that where you're living? That's where you decide that's where you have to be? We, we all moved. Well, we were, we were 
in two different houses for a long time. We stayed in Illinois with the two, with, I stayed in Illinois with the two other kids and, and then Tommy and Colton were um, in Colorado by themselves for uh, about seven, six or seven months. And then we, we, I owned my own business. I had to stay home for that. But then everybody knew that we were very heartbroken and just needed our family back together. So we, they took over our gym and did uh, some amazing work for us and allowed us to, to leave the gym, but still run it and move to Colorado. So we moved, so me and the other two kids moved to Colorado in September, August, the end of August and beginning of September of, of 2014. Oh, that was okay. All right. There is more to come, people. This story is not even, we're only in 2014, but I do have to take a quick break. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, I just want to take a quick, quick break to thank today's show, partner of the resort at Westmoreland. I just want to thank the resort at Westmoreland, a cannabis-friendly 21-plus property located on a four-acre plot in Negril, Jamaica, for making today's show possible. Are you interested in a cannabis-friendly getaway this winter? Well, I know the place for you. The resort at Westmoreland is a 16-room resort that offers a restaurant that serves African-American and Jamaican cuisines and has a swimming pool and, of course, a full-service bar. The resort sits on a beautiful four-acre plot located in Negril, Jamaica, and is just a nine-minute walk or a three-minute drive to the infamous Cliffs, Seven Mile Beach, Rick's Cafe, and the Rock House. In addition, the resort at Westmoreland provides airport tr transportation to and from Montego Bay Airport and a complimentary breakfast. The resort at Westmoreland will be fully operational in January 2023. They would love for you to bring in the new year with them and be one of the first to stay at their newly renovated private resort. And don't forget to tell them that the Kenamom Show sent you. All right, continuing on, continuing on. So 2014, Colton is doing better. Your family's moved there and you start becoming active. I mean, in the community and you're actually at a national level now. So kind of how did that work when you got there or did that happen right away? Uh, yeah, it happened right away. So recreational cannabis had just hit uh, Colorado and they were afraid that patients weren't going to have access to as much cannabis as what they did before. So we started going up to the Capitol and testifying uh, against and for bills um, that would improve cannabis. And we just, that just became a passion of ours. And be, because Colton didn't, Colton wanted people to have access, our kids to have access to this because it was so much better than the morphine and the, the biologicals and the Vicodin that he was taking before. And, Absolutely. and so he was like, if I can do this, if, if this helps me, if this gets me out of a wheelchair and, and puts me into complete clinical remission, then I need to talk to people about this and we need to tell our story and maybe help some other kids find relief also. He yeah, had gone. That, I mean, again, what a transformation. This idea that you were told that this is not, you can't, you have no access to any other sources of health care, basically finding this thing. And it's like you're evangelized. I mean, and then he's young. He, yeah. Why would he want to keep this to himself? He's, I mean, he's been through so much pain. That's really powerful. All right. So had you been advocates before in any way, like before the whole, no. Okay. So this is all new too. You're learning everything. Yeah. It's all you're stepping up. Fire. It's out in the fire. All right. So as you're going through this, what are your doctors telling you or his doctors telling him? Uh, well, he didn't see a doctor from January of 2014 to October of 2014. So finally in October of 2014, we finally 
convinced the doctor to see him because he was a cannabis patient. He wasn't doing anything other than cannabis. So he was on no other westernized medications at all. And they were not convinced at this point in time in the state of Colorado that it was it had any kind of efficacy towards anything, seizures included, even though we've obviously seen the efficacy. Right. Um, but <clears throat> we, so I called about eight different doctors and every one of them told us that they would not see him. And then I started crying on the phone and saying, and begging. And one doctor said, Get, hold on one second. Let me, let me think about this and I'll call you right back. So she did. And she called back and she's like, okay, this is the deal. <clears throat> I will, I will see him if he is not doing well. And I recommend putting him on a biological, then you have to do that or we're going to call CPS on you. Ooh, that's quite and a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, I can deal with that. Let's see what's going on with this kid. We weren't convinced completely that it was working on the inflammation. We knew that it was working for his appetite, for his weight gain, for his energy, for his sleep. And so we were happy about those things. Okay, um, you could see that, but you couldn't see the inflammation, which is really the base of almost all these diseases that it's finding to be effective on. So, all right, okay. So we wanted to see what was inside, and so she, we we took her took him to the doctor, and she was like, "Okay, well, he looks good to me. Let's see you in six months." And we were like, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We don't know what's going inside, going on inside. So let's do a colonoscopy and really look." And she's like, "Are you serious? You want to do a colonoscopy? Do you realize what kind of position that puts you in?" And we were like, yes, we want to know. We have to know because if we don't know and we're doing this and it, and it's just a placebo effect or if it's not doing anything, then it's just going to get worse and we have to do something. So we, we did a colonoscopy and she walks out with this just face on her that just was in absolute complete shock. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she goes, he is in complete clinical remission. Wow. And and what? And she handed me these, these pictures and I could not find any inflammation. I didn't find an ulcer. She couldn't find an ulcer. She couldn't find any inflammation, no granulomas. His intestines look like normal intestines. Amazing. So had she, wow. So many questions. I only have like five more minutes. So had she, <laughs> I'll have to make it part two. So had this physician actually ever seen anybody who was using cannabis for inflammation in any way, shape, or form? Was she familiar with it at all? No, not at all. She, we, we were in this together. I don't know why she took a chance on us. I'm glad that she did. Yeah, I'm glad that she did too. All right, let's. All right, so at this point, he's like 14, 15. He's in remission, and then he he's just been in remission all ever since. That's cool. Yeah, we're gonna move forward. Uh, so now he's 22, as we said in the beginning of the show, and he's very active, obviously. And he, I know he's been winning some awards for his work that he's been doing across the national work that he's doing. And I know you have the the Colton Turner Foundation. So let's just talk a little bit about um how this got stepped up, where he is now, some of the stuff you're being not award, recognized for across the country, like what he's doing as a young person, amazing, so inspiring to help move this forward because especially pediatric cannabis, I don't know, I feel like it's getting lost in a lot of the business. We still need a voice to make sure that it doesn't get lost and he seems to be an amazing voice for it. So yeah. Wants to be the voice for it. He had no choice being the voice for it because at the, po at the point that he was at, he was the only kid it really was verbal. And other oh than my God, I haven't thought of it that point. That's another interesting experience. A lot of these children are really other ends of the spectrum 
who are, a lot of the, and a lot of the people who are using it are for the seizures because you can see it immediately. Right. Yeah. And so Landon Riddle was the only other kid that was using cannabis that could talk. And he was like four years old. So he, Colton decided to take it upon himself to be the voice and to represent all the kids. And, and he, I, I feel like he did a very good job and, and he, it was a passion of his and he loves Landon. He, he, he loves Charlotte, our love, hate that we lost her of so course. soon. And, uh, but she you know, changed he, the world. She literally changed the world. Her existence changed the world. world. Absolutely. And we, you were so appreciative of Paige and, and everything that she's done for, for cannabis. We, in the beginning, she was CBD only and we were THC. So we were a little bit of rivals because we were really fighting against just CBD only bills and good, a little bit of a friendly competition. But again, as I was at the science fair on Saturday at the Harvard university and this idea that we don't know, there's so much we're still learning and the isolates are doing something, but we also know there's so much more on the full spectrum and how this works together and how it works with our body. And there needs to be more real scientific research, which is where Colton has sort of landed, right? Where he's what you know really focused on. Right. Well, I mean, he's had enough doctors tell him that there's no research and that cannabis was not the the thing that put him in remission, which we abs- we have a case study. We, we have absolute clinical proof documented by a doctor. And then other doctors that he would see are like, no, this isn't right. And blah, blah, blah. You know, he couldn't go to a hospital because he was, he was the, those doctors there because he has Crohn's disease. It doesn't go away. So he would have flares. Like if something would happen in school or with our family, a tragedy or something like that, and he would stress out, he would get into a flare. We would end up taking him to the hospital because he needed immediate treatment. But then we would always end up just up in his dose of, of cannabis and then it worked. And then once he felt better and he, we would lower the dose back down. Um, Again, but it's, doctors- it's, it's medicine. And it's like, it's hard. Like I'm always impressed with all these women who are doing it for themselves and their children. You're kind of figuring out the dosage on your own. You're trying to figure this out on in sort of a vacuum and like the idea that your husband took the bite of the brownie so to make sure that your son <laughs> I hear these weird yeah. little stories a lot but that's of course you're not exactly sure that's how it's going to work but you're like I'll sacrifice myself to make sure you know I don't hurt this child but I don't know what else to do yeah right he didn't know what else to do and we had absolutely no help so there were a few adults that were using cannabis for Crohn's but when it comes to dosing a child everybody was like oh no we don't we're completely hands-off because nobody knew Colton was the first one so how much cannabis do we give him do we let him smoke we didn't want to do that do we do we just keep giving him brownies what do we do but we we decided that we were going to figure it out and and you did (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean again like the dosing again and the things that we know now we know that when you eat an edible, it metabolizes differently in your liver. I know there are new studies out now that are trying to protect it with a certain protein so it avoids going through your liver. It goes right into your gut. I don't know if that's better or not. Again, there's a lot of things that we're learning about how this works in your body that it shouldn't have to be a parent and their child experimenting. We need studies. So tell yeah, me some so- of his way. Tell me sort of his wins or what he's working on this year. And then what's really, what's the best way to connect with you or learn more about your story and Colton's story? So what we're doing this year, coming in January, we're doing a leaflet campaign um, for his foundation. Uh, so we're going, it's kind of similar to what Dairy Queen does for with the uh, Children's Miracle Network. So we're involving dispensaries and getting donations from uh, 
people that buy the little leaflet and they put it, the dispensary puts it on the wall and all that, all the money that's coming in is going to research. Um, so we work very closely with Dr. Sue Sisley at the Scottsdale Research Institute. And we try to fund as much as we possibly can with her. And then we also try to keep back a little bit to help fund anecdotal research or anecdotal studies that, and surveys that help us as an industry help the patients a little bit more. So what strain is actually best for Crohn's disease? What, what ingestion mes- method is actually best for, for MS? So we're writing these surveys and getting ready to, to help publish those to make sure that we're on the right track. And these are going to be patient-driven surveys. So it's gonna, all this information is going to be coming from patients. So it, if you have MS, then, then we want to know, like, what are you eating? What, what, what makes you sore? How many times a day are you using cannabis? What strains are you using? What terpenes are you using? Whatever that is. How many milligrams you're, of, of THC you're taking? Uh, this all came about because they did a candid study in Colorado at, at Children's Hospital. And one of the questions that, w- that Colton was asked was, how many opioids do you use a day and do you sell them? <gasps> and I took that paper right back up to his doctor and I said, what's this? What are you talking about? Why would you ask him if he's selling his opioids? That has absolutely nothing to do with efficacy of cannabis. Next, sir, and so they took it off. We made him go back to the IRB and take take that question off. And then the next time, <laughs> it was how many dabs or oils do you do a day? I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 you can't ask that question. Dabs and oils are totally two different things, and do that, right? I mean, it should be total cannabinoid you consume a day, or something like normal, so you can actually measure it. That's crazy. Right. All right, Ida based. Yeah. All right. So you are you're fighting the good fight. You're doing a good thing. And I know he just won an award. What did he win? He won the Blood, Sweat, and Tears Philanthropy Award from the Crohn's Service Foundation. Yay. Yay. It's a beautiful oh. award, too. And you, you made this person, and you kept you're keeping him here. <laughs> he's, doing good. He's, he's doing good in the world. You must be so proud. We are. We're, we're proud of all of our children, but of course. all of us are really super proud of him because we know where he came from. Yeah. We know how sick he was. And for him to be able to just even go to work like today he's at he's at work teaching gymnastics which is our family business and i'm just like appalled of that anybody would think that cannabis doesn't work because he's walking proof amazing he is walking proof oh my god wendy thank you so much for sharing this story i hope to meet colton soon what's the best way to reach you connect with you find more about the um, foundation work you're doing we're at www.coltonscrew.org, the Colton's Crew at Yahoo and Gmail, and the Colton Turner Foundation at Gmail or .org. Right, or just Google Turner. You'll find us. Yeah, they're everywhere, people. Just Google the story. This should be a movie. I am so, um, again, a proud can of mom who, again, you know, illustrates these stories. I keep sharing that these women, these brave women who are told that they have no other options and they find another option and they only they don't only just heal their own family, they help the world. So thank you, Wendy and Colton and your husband for doing all that you've done. So 
another show, people. That's another show. Um, so for my guest, Wendy, Wendy Turner and her son, Colton, who is listening, I'm sure, and proud of his mom for sharing his story so well. And of course, my Canna bro, David Jazz and our Canna Mom Show team. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canna Mom Show, where we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom and hope. Thank you for following and sharing the inspiring stories of the women building this new industry so that together we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannamom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, a Boston podcast network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.